0: Hello, everyone. Thank you all so much for coming. Uh, my name is Emmett, and welcome to Poetry and Conversation. Uh, we're very happy that you join us tonight. And if you're interested in the series, we hope that you will also join us on March fifth when Karen Garth and Clorinda Harris are coming. Uh, Clorinda Harris is also going to be teaching some poetry workshops. If any of you are interested, you can talk to Kim or me after after the reading. Um, but tonight we welcome. Adam Robinson, and Chris Mason. Uh, our plan for the evening is um, I'll introduce Adam. Kim will come up and introduce Chris. Um, each of the poets will read for about 20 minutes, and then we'll have uh, a question-and-answer session, uh, and then they'll read a few closing poems after that, uh, and then we'll mingle and buy their books. Okay. Um. <laughs> So Adam Robinson is the author of two books. That's uh, it's Robinson with an N, and he's written a book called Adam Robinson and Other Poems, as well as a book called Say Poem, which is sort of uh, uh, plays with the form of a poetry reading, and has succeeded in making me very self-conscious of the form of a poetry reading introduction. Um, and uh, Adam Robinson and Other Poems is also uh, nominated for the Goodreads Choice Award. Uh, he's the founding editor of Publishing Genius, a small press in Baltimore that focuses on poetry and experimental fiction. Um, and he also writes for the uh, internet literature magazine blog of the future, HTML Giant, which is the first place that I encountered his writing. Um, and a, a few words about his, his poetry, which you're all about to hear and can form your own opinions on. Um, but it seems uh, that he is very comfortable taking risks. I mean, I think we can tell from his, from his attire. Um Sorry about that. <laughs> and' uh, it's, it's very uh it seems seems to me to be very energetic, and it's a, a robust sort of line- centered poetry um, that um, is is tricky. You don't always know that uh, it, it often seems uh, that it, that the sound of the poem isn't isn't central, uh, and then it'll surprise you, um, so I would say. Listen, listen carefully, and you know, as I said, form your own opinions on it. Um, and now Kim is going to come up and introduce Chris Mason, who will read first.
1: Um, Chris Mason is a, a poet and a member of three bands: the the Tinklers, whom many of you may be familiar with, um, Cuckoo Rock and Time, and Old Songs, a group that recreates archaic Greek poetry. Um, He's the author of numerous um, creative Tinkler's books and three books of poetry, Hum, Who, Hiccup, which is uh, for sale on the the table back there, Um, Click Poems, and Poems of a Doggy, a chapbook, Where To, From Out, is Forthcoming. Um, Here are just a few um, program notes um, for you to think about as you're listening um, to Chris Mason's poetry. Um, There's... Uh, the music of the sound, um, such as detail to sound, as in the Anglo-Saxon-style alliteration and assonance in the Homeric hums. Uh, the visual music informs um, uh, the visual music of new forms, such as ripples, mirror, mirrored hyperbolas, pinwheels, um, new places um, that words, where words can meet up. Um, The forms also provide notation to the reader, um, a pause, a slowing down, a shaping the phrase. And then there's the conceptual music. Uh, The riddles, um, they've evolved from the medieval definitions to uh, making you think about uh, society. Uh, Games um, from a child's world, world and beyond in only, for example, 17 or 19 words. And the small moments, even those you don't remember, uh, leading into eternal or social experience or across the ends. And Chris Mason does all of this in very short poems, hum or hiccups, and each word counts. Uh, you'll discover much more as you hear Chris Mason read tonight. Uh, please welcome Chris Mason.
2: Thank you, Kim and Emmett, and uh, it's great to read with Adam. Uh, I'm going to start with uh, some from this book, Hum, Who, Hiccup, and I'm going to start with the, um, a group of poems called Homeric Hums, which are kind of modeled after the um, Homeric Hymns from six, the 6th century B.C. One, radiant, round, unbounded light too bright for sight, bursting through clouds, hail morning sun, old exploder of my coldness into warmth, you fill my bowl with neutrinos, thanks for everything. Two, oh beer, older than cuneiform, and Kidu who ran with the herds, had not tasted beer nor bread, when Shamhat, the sweet, smart prostitute, civilized him for seven days without stopping. Hail, beer, ancient loosener of limbs and laughter. Nothing tops you but froth and foam. Three, grass I must mow ere neighbors moan. Pioneers strode through head-high blades. We rolled, wrestling among insects. One leveler tried living off grass. Stomach rebelled. Hail, grass blades who hold our dirt clods. I will among you be again. Four, breast milk I don't remember in my mouth. You gave my small body immunity. Though some mammals forego the breast as they mature, our species loves to touch and taste until we die. Hail, breasts who bring us health in such a pleasant way. I will sing songs softly to you another day. Five, library books in my bunk bed, under covers till overdue. Hail, library, where homeless men and women sit with the world's words. You shelter vast volumes of love. I will meet you down in the stacks. Seven, release of these compressed, toxic, man-made gases in places my loved ones are not brings happiness. Hail, fart, reviled by mistresses of refinement, ghostly spirit of delicious food, You thicken the atmosphere. I will smell you again at dawn. (laughs) 12. Lips that let us share stuff like love, like liquids, like language, mama, papa, baba, om, M, and um. Hail, sensate lips. You excite my receptors. Small changes in your geometry are magnified in thick waves of meaning. I will kiss you, anon. 13, message taker, first draft scribbler, fleet doodler, ear-held sketcher of changeable thoughts. Hail, pencil. You animate large wobbly number word and picture sentences as small hands gripping you write, rewrite, and erase their names and the date. So uh, this year, many of you know that uh, Baltimore lost a a wonderful, great poet, Chris Toll. And um, just recently, this past week, we lost a poet that lived in Baltimore in the 70s and 80s for a few years, Anselm Holo. And actually, I just ordered this. Selected poems uh, by Anselm, and there's a poem for Chris Toll, which is on page 141, but it's it's too long to read now, so I'm going to read a short one, which is kind of more a little more apropos of, of that occasion. Um, it, it's On the Occasion of a Poet's Death. This is by Anselm Hollow. The dedication and intensity of the dead always were greater than ours. No doubt it seemed that way to them, too, as dusk was falling on their last weary glimpse of a land populated by twerps, the disembodied glories of Hades await us. So that was Hansom Hollow, and I, I want to read a. It's kind of like half a poem and half an essay that um, Bob O'Brien from Worms is going to publish in the Worms Quarterly and the Worms Book. So it's doubly wormed, and um, it's it's kind of about, you know, one certain kind of Baltimore aesthetic that's uh, different ways people perform poetry in kind of uh, uh, unconventional ways. So some of the methods of performing poetry employed in and around Baltimore from the late 60s to the early teens by poets in their late teens to early 60s. David Franks, jumping up onto a table to recite a poem, the Hopkins Writing Seminars, 1969. Lauren Bender, reading a poem from inside a large cardboard box, the IE Reading Series, Dionysus, 2007. Blaster Al Ackerman, reading a poem with a bar of soap in his mouth, The Shattered Wig, 14 Carat Cabaret, 2005. Chris batworth Siati reciting rhythmic blasts of images to thousands of grunge rock fans, HF Festival, RFK Stadium, 1992. Marshall Reese picking a number from the phone book, reciting the number, and reading a poetic phrase for each digit of the number. Red Door Hall, the ailing Marshall Reese portrayed by tentatively a convenience, 1979. Jocelyn Garlington reading Lost Family Poem to Percussion, sandwiched between dancers and comedy, Kuumba Group, Cafe Park Plaza, 1983. Rick Royer repeating each phrase of a poem two, three, four times tonally modulating. Hamilton Arts Collective, 2009. Bonnie Jones typing words to a poem being composed as it was typed and projected onto the wall, i.e., reading series. Clayton and Company, 2006. Teen poet Clarence Rob. of the defunct Baltimore Experimental High School, spray-painting his one-word poem and moniker, Cuba, all over Baltimore, mid-80s. Chris Toll putting tiny books of poetry printed by Jamie Guerin-Perez inside books at Borders and Barnes and Nobles to be purchased unwittingly for free, 2005. Lesser Gonzalez Alvarez shining three-word poems handwritten in capital letters Onto the Wall was an old-fashioned educational overhead projector, Worms, 2011. Ellen Carter and Chris Mason reading mistranslations of poems of Paul Ceylon over the phone to surprise citizens plucked from the white pages, 1979. (laughs) Off Michael Weaver improvising blues poems to blues banjo accompaniment Above the Paint Store, 1985. Joe Cartarelli and Kirby Malone chanting strings of words through macramé masks, Mica, 1976. Prison activist and poet David Eberhardt performing a rap for inmates at a barbecue in the yard, 2001. Liz Downing, Mark Jickling, and Chris Mason singing poems of Sappho with banjo, guitar, and mandolin, old songs group, 2000s. Adam Robinson pasting poems onto walls around Baltimore. Baltimore is Reed's project, 2006 to 2009. Watercolor and poet, Richard Sober, passing out free paintings at his poetry reading, Bread and Roses Collective Coffee House, 1978. M. Magnus performing Choral Heraclitus in Dionysus, his daughter spinning from table to table, spreading logos, 2007. Lauren Bender performing David Frank's poem, My Penis, as a redo after David Franks performs My Penis, i.e. 2006. Joe Carterelli and Rupert Wandelowski and Michael Ball and Bob O'Brien performing the extended extemporaneous poetic introduction in whatever decades they landed in. Some poet in a Baltimore row house reading a love poem to a sweetheart who smiles in nervous bewilderment. A poet walking alone on any street in Baltimore, mumbling the lines of an unfinished poem, feet of the poet, feet of the poem. Somebody reading poems in a strange voice with funny gestures, whose name we forget and whose way of reading is too hard to describe, but it was great. And um, now I'm going to, so today, this is probably a secret, but today is Stephanie Barber's birthday, she writes haiku, so I thought I'd write her a haiku, but then it would seem rude not to write a haiku for um, Adam, because um, I'm reading with him, and then I thought it would be rude to not, rude to not write a haiku for Teresa Columbus, because she moved to, to Wisconsin, from Wisconsin here, so I, I, I wrote a, a haiku for them a c- couple years ago call, that had a line called Wisk Weisenheimer's and the haiku wasn't that good, so I just took, took that line for the title of this, these three haikus. Whisk, because they moved from Wisconsin, and Weisenheimer, because they tell a lot of jokes. Okay, Stephanie Barber, birth party, Feb 12, high lustrous cinema coup, who head start kidlings. Adam Robinson, ex-future church mensch, post poems in thoroughfare. Ambulous wordist <laughs> Teresa Columbus, dancer in desert, search for sister's tent, find, throw arms high into air. So now I'm going to um, read. I'm going to read some poems um, from this book that uh, Christoph Kaszmaszma is going to publish in uh, Furniture Press. It's called Where To From Out. So all these poems are, um, are have the title from a place and uh, there's, there's one for every letter of the alphabet, but I'm only going to read like seven of them, not all 26. Kindergarten room, Kewaden Elementary School, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Cloak room with jungle gym size of house. Big kid shows us severed thumb and box. Winter, they flood field, make rink. I I sneak up on gentle Big Brother John skating and push him face first down on ice. Teacher mad, sixth grade, when we move, I don't thank class for completing my papier-mâché yarn monkey. (laughs) Normals, Books and Records, 425 East 31st Street, Baltimore, Maryland. Filling in at register so Rupert can go to post office. See used book just brought in. Book of my poems I gave girl I liked 30 years back. Inscribed, ill met by moonlight, proud to Tanya. Coffee stains, finger smudged, corners of pages curling. Spine bloated or spine cracked. Books sent out, come back older. The flautist performing at Normals Books and Records. Her notes altered electronically. Is daughter of director of J.S. Bach Society. My mother in Minneapolis sang Bach in. Their notes in moonlight now dispersed. Each book on shelf at normals. Once lay open, face down, on someone's stomach. Half asleep, half mouthing, words just read to self. Oberammergau, Germany reenactment of Christ's crucifixion every tenth year seventeen living in Oxford with parents night brainstorm knock on bedroom door their sweet marital embrace open door shout let's go see the passion plays this spring at Oberammergau Pan American Highway the Americas dead horse Alaska oilfield town, then meander south but for one undrivable stretch rainforest, to Tierra Del Fuego, site petroleum gas fields, home of Jemmy Button, abducted by Darwin's Captain Fitzhugh, brought to England, new clothes, learned English, back with Darwin to Tierra Del Fuego, met Fuegans, their language different, finally met good-looking girl, Wife, refused trip back to England, taught a few Fuegans English. Darwin sailed westward to flightless cormorants. Giant tortoises fucking to bring variation to species. Name Jemmy Button's mom gave him, Elapuru. I, high schooler in England, hitchhiked to Stonehenge. Back, by new release, Abbey Road. Bearded mop tops cross crosswalk. Back together, salute the sun, then split. Shipboard, Jemmy Button would tease Darwin about seasickness. Poor, poor fellow. But when teased by others would cry, too much skylark. Road between Lake Nokomis and Lake Hiawatha, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Road Jimmy Burka's house was on passes over a stream connecting Lake Hiawatha into Lake Nokomis. Pipe you walk through, we saw homunculus, probably dead frog. Island of Florence in Indonesia, they dug up bones of half size human, three feet tall, flourished 17,000 years ago, smaller size selected for by appetite. No scary predators, island retirement spot descendants of wandering homo erectus. Like us here, where Minnehaha falls, thunders in would-be patrons' ears at now-defunct Longfellow Library that I and my ilk no longer learn love of books in or wonder, walking by waters, who the heck is Gitchy Goomy? And one more of these. Grand, uh, St. Olaf College, Northfield, Minnesota. It's kind of heavy on the Minnesota today. Grandfather Homer's cheer, baseball, football, swimming in the tank, we got money, we keep it in the bank, St. Olaf, it's a college. (laughs) Norse thought translated, Homer's friend, Kierkegaard scholar, Howard Hong, Dipsalmata, either or, what is a poet, man roasted inside metal bowl, flutes in bull's nostrils make music from man's moans. College kid heard Kay's dark words as melancholy, pure, elfish air. Serotonin sounds like snow sounds. Die Nord, sud, ost, west, heim aller best. Hat, hat, head, from, from, book, book, slide, sliding down, snowy, St. Olaf Avenue ice, it's a college. So I I want to end with it with by singing a song just because of the place we're at. So let me get this. I gotta get this. And, And I want to thank Don Payton for helping me make this. There was a girl who liked a guy. He wanted to have sex. She wanted to cry The trouble was he liked She liked him a lot Should she do it Or should she not Could she talk to her sister Wouldn't be cool Could she talk to her friends It'd be all over school Could she talk to her <laughs> parents uh, And said she Took a walk All the way downtown Flipped through the catalog And looked around The understanding For which she looked She found in a library book There was a boy Who liked boys But was scared Of this terrible joy Did it mean he was sick or insane. If he went to a doctor with a cut out part of his brain. Ask talk to his parents. What? Talk to his friends. They'd kick his butt. Talk to his guidance counselor. Huh. And he Took a walk All the way downtown Flipped through the catalog And looked around The secret knowledge For which he looked He found in a library book There was a guy Who was thinking about stuff Like what was here Before the Big Bang went off Did a creator set off the bomb or was there nothing here before the universe came along ask his teachers didn't know ask his friends so ask his parents Ah, instead he took the bus to the library nearest his house turned on the monitor and clicked on the mouse. The secret theories for which he looked, he found in a library book. Thank you. I
3: was just just, just about to say how auspicious it is to get to read in the library. And when somebody, when somebody plays a song, I'm always like, did you write that? Yeah. <laughs> no? no. <laughs> How's everybody doing? Thanks for coming. Um, and Thanks, Emmett, for the introduction. And um, it's great to, always great to read with, or get to see Chris read or do anything. <laughs> I'm not at the top of my form because I stayed up all night watching TV. It's a timer here. Oh, yes, I said it. Okay. Um, I've got 18 minutes I think it would be nice to start with a poem by Catherine Regina It's called I Am In The Air Right Now I will be fine When I said that I got worse when you were gone I was thinking of something else My heart is a balloon And my stomach is a balloon And my head is a balloon I was thinking of the bird that flew into a man's head Hard Hard So that it actually flew inside his head And it got trapped there and confused And everyone felt sorry for the man And not the bird Who had to stay in that man In his head I felt like I was crying at your door And begging you to come out And that felt good because I would never do that in real life I like to feel like I am about to do something that I wouldn't do and so have become another person, and not just that I'm confusing myself with another person, but I actually am that other person. Today I saw a watch made out of a silver dollar, and it reminded me of you, because you wear a watch too. I am in the air right now. Chris talked about Chris Toll. This is um, Chris Toll's jacket. Yeah, everybody want to get a good look? It's very warm. Your girlfriend's favorite whatever. Love is a many-gendered thing. Everyone has a laptop. It's a food product, essentially. Some people are in Thailand. What man has a laptop? Let's talk about you and me, Serenity. Plastic, fork, breakfast. Scarf a purple car. There are lots of magazines. There are over 300. There are well over 300. This poem is for Stephanie Barber on her birthday. And um, this isn't a secret. On Friday, we'll be celebrating the release of Stephanie's book, Atomic Books and Records, and there are flyers um, over, over there. So this poem is called More. Met a girl in America. Her voice was dark, cool, and I'd overhear her say funny things. And oh, she was smart in every sense, like smell. She performed brilliantly with art. One time, she did tell something to me. She said, reaching back to sit, she said, I'm going to smoke like a fiend. Now I say these words all the time without thinking or smoking. Then later we started to talk. That was the best ever. That was truly something else altogether. When we started talking, I could never stop. Once I saw her walking with a cup of coffee in my alley. Rain was in the forecast. Swim, I said. Yes, she said. I'd go swimming. This is all that matters. Let's allow ourselves this more. Life gets dark. There are two things that I care about most on a day-to-day level. The first is for people to understand something about other people. I want everyone to know that other people are very sad right now. What's worse is they are sad in general, watching out the window on the various days and nights of their loneliness. Yes, low, all people are miserably sad, and even though they hurt you in particular, even though you are thwarted at every turn by nimrods and big cars, hot dogs with cleft chins, dipshits who have been well provided for, it's only because they are so miserably sad. Because things don't add up. Because life gets dark sometimes. It really does, no matter what. We lie in it. The second thing that I care about is that nonsense, oh sweet Lord, nonsense is some of the best stuff we've got going, and it's wrong. It's a profound devolution to try to make everything make sense. Like, here we got this, and here we got that, and let's see, mumble mumble. Ah, yes. My friend the ghost said that he wants to make the mystery greater. I just want to recognize that it's a mystery, and I want to languish there. Taking deep breaths like a hangover you endure best as you enjoy it. Those are the first and second things I care about most in no particular order. I wrote this a while ago, and I just figured today I just figured out today how to read it. Um, so all right. Up next is Final Explosions. In the next poem, Mathewson gets trapped in a crashed rail car in Pennsylvania with a bomb in it. And of course, Carter, who can barely see him through the wrenched metal, can't get any service to her cell phone and everyone else is dead. Dead. So all you can hear is Carter's heart and the tick of the device and Mathewson wheezing as he struggles to crawl, to pull the red wire the blue wire. But in this poem, you must go to bed early, for tomorrow are the achievement tests, and mom is making a good breakfast, and dad is dropping you off, as if all that stands between you and discovering Jupiter are eggs and a ride. Now I would like to, um... I'd like to, um... Hmm. I'd like to read you my poem called Jug- Juggernaut Dingleberry. In the bathroom at work, I heard one fellow say to another fellow, oh, I worked, uh, um, this is when I worked at Leg Mason. In the bathroom at work, I heard one fellow say to another fellow, do you want to get separate stalls this time? <laughs> There, with my phone in my hands, I guffawed. I thought of the word gaffosum. I was reading transcripts of the Will Shorts puzzler. It occurred to me that I only think of Twitter when I poop, so all I ever think to tweet is taking a poop. The timer on this thing really works, and it's telling me it's time to read to you the next portion of my work in progress. It's a novel. Um, it's called The Sun Also Rises, and all you really need to know, if, um, this is the third time I've read from this, and it's, if you saw the other two times, you're right along with me. If you, haven't, if you, if you weren't there then all you need to know is that the protagonist, the narrator's brother recently, well, the day, uh, the day before the scene, where well, we, you're going to hear from, his brother died, um, and he uh, just kind of took off on a road trip with his friend who's, who's going around to colleges, uh, to academic conferences. And as his, friend, his friend Bill is just trying to kind of distract him and keep him from getting too dark, too sad. So they were out hiking. They were in Friendsville, Maryland. That's where they are now. We hiked back down the trail and got into the car and drove the narrow streets of the town and found the water and followed it one way for a mile and came to an Outfitters and arranged passage in one of their rubber boats. You see they want to go whitewater rafting. Although they made us wear helmets, the water was calm. We barely got splashed. The guide's, name, the guide's name was Rick or Mike or something, and we gave him a hard time. Bill would say, you call this an outdoor adventure? And I would say, look out, Bill, the river is a nasty wife. Rick was apologetic and said there hadn't been much rain. It gets gnarly in the spring, he said, and then Bill started to call everything gnarly. That was a gnarly 40 bucks we paid for this trip. After an hour, we came to a narrow bend in the river that curved through two high walls. A large crag jutted out of the water and seemed to speed the current. We whipped through it and stimulated. I gave a wahoo and rolled out the back of the boat in my clothes and all. The water was fat and cold. Carry me away, I thought to the water, and it did. Feet first, I followed the raft, laughing, bouncing Up I lifted my helmeted head and could see Rick trying to paddle back up the river stupidly to save me. I could see Bill with a big smile standing up to balance and shake the boat. He used his arms the way surfers do when they're surfing. He bounced and rocked on his bent knees and I knew he was trying to flip Rick overboard. Attaboy, Bill, I thought, as Rick fell out. (laughs) The water was moving and floated me up to them. Rick was now standing red, red-faced on the shore using the paddle he clung to to swing at bill who was kneeling now in the boat saying oops gnarly swing though rick he was well out of the paddle's reach and clearly rick didn't want to wade deeper into the water i climbed into the raft and we sailed away or whatever it away white watered away rapidly We'll send help, Billy yelled to Rick on shore, but when we found a place to get out of the river, we certainly did not do that. The boat floated down the nasty wife. That was awesome, I said, wet and cold. I'd left my cell phone in the car so it didn't get ruined, but the iPod I'd stolen earlier was a paperweight. I chucked it into the trees. We climbed a small hill to the road. We didn't know what to do with regard to going anywhere because we didn't know where anywhere was. I thought that was fine, but I also thought I'd hiked enough that day. Well, there's hitchhiking, Bill said, as a car passed us. I turned to look down the road, and through the trees I could see the sun getting lower. Over the next hour we walked slowly, and not many cars passed us. I dried except for my feet. We were several miles outside of Friendsville, Things to eat include Omaha steaks, macaroni and cheese, apples, pot roast, pepperoni pizza, chicken almondine, various legumes. As it got darker, I worried I'd never have anything like that in the rest of my life. But then a white minivan passed us and had bumper stickers and stopped. Gnarly, I said. The minivan backed up. The panel door slid open, and in the darkening night, we saw men with baseball bats. Bill was like, cool, softball. I said, what's up, fellas? Are you a softball team? Hell yeah, bro, one of them stepped out of the ve- said as he stepped out of the vehicle. His T-shirt said, Whiting's paint. We just got trounced, but whatever, he said. He was tall and muscular. He looked like he could hit the ball a mile. Oh man, that's cool. I mean, you seem cool about it, I said. Losing, you know. Ah, uh, fuck, whatever. We just do it for the good times, man. There's nothing like it. Some ball, some brews with friends. Come on, you know? Right on. Bill said, Are you in a league or what all? Fuck yeah, dude, the guy, the guy said. There's like 300 teams in it. It's ridiculous. Wow, I said. That sounds awesome. There we were, standing on a country road in the early 21st century, talking about softball with SEAL Team 6. You guys play? I mean, yeah, I said, but not around here. We don't live around here. Oh, shit, where are you guys from? Bill said, I'm from Chicago, and Larry's from New York. That's Bill, I said. And Matt said he was Matt, and we all shook hands. Matt said, hey, do you guys need a lift? Bill said we were heading to where we'd left our car at the rafting place and that we'd like a ride if that was cool, and Matt said it was close by, no problem. Weird, though, normally that place picks you up at the end of the trip. We said we guessed we missed the last shuttle. Matt said... "'We're scheduled to play a makeup game tomorrow night "'because we got rained out a couple weeks ago. "'You guys want to play?' "'No way,' I said, excited. "'Hell yeah!' "'Yeah, bro, a bunch of guys can't make it "'because it wasn't in the regular schedule.' "'Matt turned to his two friends and said, "'Okay, if Bill and Larry sub in tomorrow,' "'and the others all went, "'F yeah,' and, "'Can they hit "'And, sweet deal.' "'Matt turned back to us. "'You got to play outfield, though.' "'Bill said, "'That's cool. "'I play outfield anyway. "'I've got a gun.' Nice, Matt said. I said, I'm regular, regularly at short, but I'm just glad to play. Appreciate it, man. What was I talking about? I'm not regularly anywhere, but I always thought shortstop seemed like the most fun place to play. I was speaking aesthetically. Aesthetically, I'm a shortstop. The general of the infield. Oh shit, you play short? We'll see, man. I'm pretty sure Chris'll be there, though. He's got a glove like crazy. We arrived back at our car, and the guys followed us to meet them at a place called the Hop Back Inn, not far away. We followed them there, and Bill did a little jump as he entered. Matt gave him a high five. We situated ourselves at a large table. Scanning the bar quickly, I saw pool and darts and a karaoke machine, which I tried to ignore. Bill ordered pitchers of beer. Matt filled us in on the details of the softball game, where the field was, and when. We jawed for a while. Matt's friends went to occupy the bar. Then there appeared a girl in a Whiting's Whiting's paint t-shirt of her own. She was favoring her right leg. I favored them both. She was slender and pretty and carelessly brown-haired, but the impressive thing was how she picked up a full glass of beer and set it back down empty. Matt said, "'That's Brittany.' I shook her hand, met her eye. She met my eye. Matt reached his arm around her shoulder, but she stepped away on her bad foot and took a chair across from me. The song, the karaoke song, wound down, and Bill looked at Brittany and looked at me and back to Brittany and smiled widely and nodded and leaned back in his chair, wrapping his hands around his beer mug. I leaned forward. I said, Got a busted wing, even though I tried not to. Foot, I said. Brittany said, "'Whatever, bro, some ball, some brews with friends. "'Come on, you know what I'm saying?' "'She put her elbows on the table and leaned. "'We were all of us leaning somewhere.' "'Oh, you're going to be very special friends,' Bill said. "'Old Brit,' Matt said. "'So what's new?' Brittany asked me. "'They're very good,' I said, about the singers. "'We could dance, but me with this ankle.' "'I poured a glass of beer and drank it. "'I filled up the glasses at the table. "'Bill raised the eyebrows on his face. "'He slid his glass back to me, so I had two. Oh boy, I said. Bill said, don't throw up on the bar. In the past, twice, he'd cleaned up after I did that. Matt slid his beard to Brittany. He turned to Bill and me and said, she was wounded in battle. She's endured great loss. She eschews medical intervention. She will return to the attack tomorrow. How much can a human being endure? I'll drink to that, I said. I locked eyes with her. We, two raised our glasses and drank them. We repeated this with the second glass effectively, happily, simultaneously. But whereas Brittany set her glass down level, I was uneven. I stood. Gentlemen, I said. This time my leaning was drunk and carried no significance. It barely carried me. I sat down again. I lifted my finger and twirled it for another, but Brittany said I was tight. Damn, Jimmy, I'm tight, I said. Hey, Bill said. Sorry, I said. Damn Jimmy, Brittany said. Take a minute, Matt said. She's superhuman, I said. Things went on this way, and in spite of her bad foot, we danced. How could we not? Fools rushed in is the last thing I remember.
0: Thank you both so much, uh, and now uh, if anyone has questions, we'll have a brief question and answer uh, session. Um, if you wouldn't mind speaking into the into the microphone we, we would love to put this on as a, as a podcast so. um Chris I was Wondering if I heard correctly that the last thing you read us had something to do with the alphabet, and you were reading. And I was wondering how it
2: was connected to each letter. Um, should I talk into this thing? Oh
0: yes, please. Yeah, okay. thank you. Okay.
2: Um, each uh, poem is uh, is a place, and so I have. The first poem is Arcadia, which is a m- mountain in an uh, island off of Maine. The second one is the Bim House, which is a jazz club in Amsterdam. The third one is Colorado, which is a state. And s- so they each have a place, a j- place. W- that start with a, the f- with a, oh, a letter. Okay. And it's, it's just it's a way of, I had of writing a lot of poems. It's awesome. Thank, okay. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah,
0: anyone else with questions can just step up I actually have a question for you Um, I mean uh, I think um, I mean Chris you you spoke a lot about other sort of Baltimore poets and uh, I know um, Adam you frequently like reference other other works of literature in your um, in your writing so I was wondering if there are other um, artists or works of art that you see your own work as being in conversation with um yeah, and I guess if there are any you would like to mention, we'd love to hear them. So. Oh, both of you, sorry. Yeah, uh,
3: I liked the second. Well, I guess it was the the last poem you read at the end. You were referencing um, Howard Hong's translations of Kierkegaard, and those were really important for me. And um, I feel like I feel like um, reading Kierkegaard kind of was the was a really early. Ch- turning point for, what, for my work.
2: Yeah, that's, that's really great because um, these guys came from Wisconsin I came from Minnesota, so, which is not too close, but it's kind of close. And um, So my dad grew up in Northfield, Minnesota, which is where St. Olaf College is, and, so, and Howard Hong was a friend of my grandfather who was a shop teacher at Northfield High School. And uh they're, they're from Minnesota. yeah, they're all from Minnesota. Howard Hong and his wife, Edna um, translated a lot of Kierkegaard, and um, actually, Howard Hong talked at my father my grandfather's funeral, so um, but in terms of in terms of other poets, um, um, I'm very involved with the uh, generation of poets uh, that are actually my father's age, people like Allen Ginsberg, Robert Creeley, Kenneth Koch, John Ashbery, and then the poets before them, like the, the, the objectivist Laurie Niedeker from Wisconsin, and uh, Louis Sikofsky, and but also the modernists like uh, Williams, um, and uh marianne moore but um but f- in terms of younger poets, it's mostly people around here i mean uh like chris toll adam stephanie um uh jamie garn perez um lauren Bender just uh i could just keep naming a whole bunch of of people um whose whose work it it just it seems like the the, um, there's so many, there's thousands and thousands of interesting poets writing today. And so um, I tend to read people from around here. Perez, did you go to the Institute? No. <laughs> Um, I came here in, in Baltimore to go to Hopkins. So I, I was a writing seminars major in the from 70 to 74. But I hung out with a lot of people from MICA. But didn't the, Yeah, you write. right. They used to call it the Institute. Now they call it MICA. So. Because I went to both, as a matter of fact, both MICA and the writing seminars. Oh, that's neat. For, first MICA and then the writing seminars? Yeah. Oh, that's neat.
1: Dr. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, he's looking to take a paintbrush out of my hand.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and said, "Right, and I'll introduce you to my friends." That's great. This to Ginsburg I must drop my speakers. Yeah. Yeah. Th- those are those are good days when okay. uh, when Joe Cardarelli was was um, hosting readings at Micah.
0: Um, if you if you wouldn't mind coming up and, and speaking into the mic, that would be great. Thank
2: you. This is Bob Friedman, um, legendary Baltimore musician. Is it true that, uh,
3: Chris, is it true that the Tinklers uh, generated more hate mail than anything uh,
2: else on NPR? <laughs>
1: um,
2: I, I, I can't. I don't know if we've set that record. But um, that's, a- anecdotally, it's true. I don't know if scientifically it's true. Um, in the early 90s, the Tinklers... Um, there was a, um, someone at NPR, um, Bob Boylan, that um, recorded a bunch of our songs, that, and then they used to play them um, in between stories. And they put on about 15 Tinkler songs over those three years. But one time, um, they played five letters that were all um, not so positive. Like the tinklers are the worst band in the universe. Uh, On a scale of one to zero to ten, the tinklers are negative fifteen. Things like that. So that was pretty cool. (laughs) Um, This is Stephanie Barber, whose um, book Night Moves will be um, uh, out today.
1: Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Um, I was thinking that you both write songs and you both write poetry and fiction. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the similarities and differences between approaching those two.
3: Um, yeah, I, I definitely forgive, forgive more when writing songs. Um, if I can, if, if it fits into the meter then I'll, I'll go with it for a long time until I come up with something better and I'll be happy that way. Whereas with a poem, um, I guess because it's more naked, you know, more immediate, then I definitely want the line to make more sense uh, in whatever context of the poem than it, within a song.
2: Thank you. Um My experience is that I started writing poetry when I was a teenager, and it kind of opened up a lot of uh worlds for me in terms of thinking about things and so I've always wrote poetry and i always i started playing guitar about that same time and then but I didn't write songs. And then I started writing songs when I joined the Tinklers in uh 1980. And that was a lot of fun. And then, but in the 80s and 90s, I spent a lot of time working on two book-length fiction projects. And what I found out was that I wasn't that good at it. And um, and it was a lot of work. And so, writing songs and writing poems are just like a vacation for me. I mean, it's just a lot of fun. And Whereas writing fiction... Was a lot of work, and so I decided to just go with a vacation.
3: <laughs> uh, fiction for me has been a huge vacation lately. Yeah, yeah. I guess because it's so expansive that you can, um, it's almost like watching. It's it's almost like watching TV to write <laughs> fiction. I get to make the most interesting scenarios.
2: Um, All
3: right. It's it's part of a novel that I'm writing called The Sun Also Rises. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's actually. That is just, I mean, you know, maybe maybe it won't be called that in the end. But right now, it's following the it's following the stru- structure of The Sun Also Rises. Right. That's why they're always drinking.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you have any? How closely
1: is it following the structure? <laughs>
3: well, um, it... I, I've kind of let myself be a little bit loose as I, um, I recently reread the Sun also. So I mean, I've read that book four times, and uh, on this last fourth reading, I realized I wasn't nearly as close as I thought I was. Um, and then I started to go back and, and plug in the things that I'd missed, and I've. Like having to invent characters, and a lot of the a lot of the book is like is actually based on my friends and the experiences that we've had together. So I have to like invent a a Robert Cohn character who's you know the guy that nobody likes, and I'm like, well, which one of fr- my I don't <laughs> have friends that I don't like, you know, <laughs> so I've loosened it up a little bit.
0: When you first started speaking, I thought it was going to be some kind of Borges experimental thing where you were actually going to read. The sun also oh, yeah, yeah, rises yeah, yeah, right. the way he right, rewrote Don Quixote, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank, right. You.
3: Thank you. Right. Thank you. Reminds me of a prayer meeting a little bit.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, you guys both write funny poems. And um, Adam, you once said, like, I'm, this might be wrong, but it was something like, I write funny poems, but I'm not funny. So what's
3: up with that? <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think actually, he is pretty funny.
3: You mean you mean like I'm not funny in real life? Or
2: uh, I don't
3: know what you meant. So. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean
2: yeah, I, I have no response. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I I'm not funny either. <laughs> oh,
0: I have a question. Um I'm thinking about writing a book, and I just wanted to know, like, what was the process like or your experience? Like, both of you, what your experience was in writing poetry? Um,
2: Well, in terms of a book of poetry, um, I would just say um, one thing you can do now, these days, is write a bunch of poems or write a story and um kind of test it print up print up 10 or 20 of them and um show it to the, your friends and um or or other authors whatever and um and then rewrite it or or send it out to publishers or there's so many different i mean in, when we started writing in the um, 70s, it was just the boom of the mimeograph revolution where people were starting to put out books on ditto machines and mimeographs. But before that, in the 50s and 60s, the only way you could get a book of poems out to other people was to um, have somebody publish it, have somebody print it on, on a offset press. And now, I mean, you can you can i I'd, i do a lot of um xerox books where i i i write in fact there's everyone can take a a, a broadside that i just pr- published on my computer a couple of days ago is one poem for my dad and um and anybody it's for everybody in the room so so there's you can print it on your computer you can xerox it you can you can um Go to Amazon.com and, uh, and uh, get a, a a book that you pay like 250 dollars and, and, 50 uh, and a book can be published that people can order. There's so many great ways to publish now. So I just, I mean, but aside from that, I think just, you know, just write for the joy of it and write as much as you can. And that's, that's the best, that's the most important thing. Just write as much as you can. I definitely did
3: the um using like Amazon or or Lulu to make sort of tester books with my work just to see how it fit together whether or not they were actually good and and having that sort of produced volume of your work kind of lets you know whether or not the poems are done you, it changes. It changes your perception of the poem, you know, especially if it's something that you've been working on over and over, and then you can see it in this different way. And that was important to me. Um, but when I set out to write Adam Robison, um, I had a concept in mind, and so then then I was. It was easy to. The concept was to write bio, biographical poems, poems about other people, and it was easy with that topic to just think of an interesting person, do a lot of research on them. That is to say wikipedia then <laughs> and then um and then sort of fit, fit make a poem out of it and doing that doing a lot of those at the end of the process then you've got you've got what you can put together in a book then when i had when i finished that i immediately afterward had to write um i had to put together another book for my um, mfa thesis and I felt like all the good work that I'd done over the last year and a half w- went into the Robeson book. But I found that I could take the poems that I didn't like as much, and uh, this is why the Say poem c- c- is constructed as a as a reading because I didn't like the poems themselves, but I could make up a uh, I could contextualize them somehow and make make it a valuable book, a worthwhile book. Um, so I think what I'm saying is that. Just write write a lot and then find a way to fit them together in a way that pleases you. And sometimes doing the technology thing of of putting it together in a book helps. And I asked um, one of my favorite poets, Mairead Byrne, because she she had a blog back in 2006 that I was reading a lot and it seemed like there was a new poem every day. So I said, do you write all the time? And she said, no, I just feel a little better if I write a poem every day.
2: yeah and I just want to follow up on that that those poems I read with the places were kind of like what Adam was talking about about writing a poem uh where every poem in the book follows a kind of a, uh, a concept i mean it's 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 nice because um I and mean, with with in my experience with that particular thing i I had something to write for six months you know um or more and it's you know sometimes when I sit down to write I can't think of anything to write, but if you have a project, you know like write, write one poem, for about a place for every letter in the alphabet, then you have just some you you can always think well I got to write a Q poem, you know? and then you just think, for the next couple of days you're thinking of all these Q places you know, and um, and then so it's nice to to have a project that is fun. It
3: does help. Sound-
0: <laughs> well thank you all so much for your questions and now if you guys wouldn't mind reading a couple of closing poems that would be great Want to
2: do like a, a yeah yeah so, so that means you're, you're next then I'd
3: Say
0: cheese.
3: His poem is called Michael Kimball. He's hurt now and he can hardly move his leg. Herniated too, but he stands in wait for the lobbed ball with an easy tension. I am at first base stretching everything towards Second for no reason, because when he bats, I need no lead. When he hits, I can meander home, shake hands along the way with their shortstop, maybe get some ice cream, and now here's the pitch, pasted up there, arcing down slowly, his bat off, leveling forward, leveling through, and somehow, a chemical change. He has not hit the ball. He only reaches down and acts like God sees her church, and he, outlo- and he loads the outfield onto a star, like a magician, a tablecloth, and your bone china. Cold Fusion If your yearning heart is clogged up, simply give me a beautiful call. I can solve the hurt. I am the Grand Master, and I transubstantiate each peculiar wish. How like a ten-key calculator When dolphins keep pasture in a lonesome valley I unclog the galaxy right now While you wait Because I hunt so grand, so hard And if I can say something about that poem It's been one of like, one of my more uh, well-received poems And all of the words in it Except for the small words that tie them together Were sent to me by Chris Toll To compose a poem from... <laughs>
2: Okay, so I'm just going to read one poem, which, um, so my father uh, died uh, in June, and he was 86 then, and he was a philosophy professor, a really, very sweet guy, and uh, so this is uh, called, it's, this is another, ser- I did three series of poems that were all letters of the alphabet, so this is one of the, a different series that kind of mixed in with that called, and this one, uh, Adam published on his blog, Everyday Genius, which you should all look at. Not blog, um, website, poetry website. Okay, it's called. This is called Zeno Zero, and there's there's like about 30 of them back in the place where you buy books, but these are for free. Dad told us paradox: arrow never hits target, goes half then. Three-fourths, seven-eighths of way, always more fractions to pass. We get old, we forget things, but never forget all, forget half. Three-fourths, seven-eighths, not forget all things, forget all things not. Zeno, we know scarce info of life, of dad's life we know half five eighths, seven ninths. Always is more story, more info, but never remember all of Arrow Paradox told us dad. Thanks.
1: Thank you very much, Adam and Chris, for your wonderful poetry. Um, There are uh, books for sale um, on the back table, and um, please help yourself also to refreshments. Uh, We have a sign-up sheet for our email list if you want to hear more about poetry events that are coming up here at the library. And um, we also have um, a workshop coming up the next three Wednesdays starting tomorrow with uh, Professor Emerita Clorinda Harris And there is um, one spot left in that. So if you'd like to sign up for the poetry workshop, please see me. And thank you for coming.